life is, uh, is filled with little everyday mysteries, according to Douglas B. Smith, in an article in the Reader's Digest. For example, why does a bride always stand on the groom's left? Why are most pencils hexagonal? Why is a gift that is completely non-productive in nature called a white elephant? Most people have no idea. Brides began standing on the groom's left during the days when men sometimes captured women from neighboring villages. The groom wanted his sword hand free, his right one, during the wedding to fight off any possible attack by the bride's relatives or a jealous suitor. Great wedding, that's right. (laughs) Nine hexagonal pencils can be made from the same amount of wood as eight round ones. Thus, pencils are hexagonal because they are cheaper to produce and less likely to roll off a table. If displeased with members of his court, the king of Siam reportedly gave them elephants to ruin them. The animals were considered sacred and were not permitted to work. But they still had to feed them and maintain them, thus ruining basically their lives. (laughs) Yes, yes. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of life's mysteries were as simple as that to solve? Unfortunately, they are not. Sometimes the, the harsh circumstances of life, the troubles we face, the losses we experience are very hard to understand and accept. Leaving us with some very real and honest questions from God. The kinds of questions the prophet Habakkuk has been asking. Now, if you recall from last week, Habakkuk was complaining to God. Actually, he was complaining about God regarding the people of Judah. Habakkuk didn't like what he saw occurring in the nation. For its people, these are God's people, had become wicked and violent and corrupt. The nation had become full of hate and anger and fighting. They were coming apart at the seams. And as far as Habakkuk could tell, God appeared to be distant and unresponsive and unconcerned about what was going on. From Habakkuk's perspective, God wasn't doing anything. Now, Habakkuk was correct in what he observed in the nation, for it had become wicked and violent and corrupt. But he was dead wrong when it came to God. Unbeknownst to Habakkuk, God saw everything that was happening in the nation. In fact, history tells us that God foreknew what would be happening in the nation. And he had given them many warnings. Warnings to his people that if they went down that evil road, 
If they went down that road and did not repent, there would be trouble. But God's warnings were ignored. So God drops a bombshell on Habakkuk and tells him that the people of Judah will be punished for their sin and he's raising up the Babylonians to do it. The Babylonians will serve as God's rod of correction. And if you remember, they were a terrible bunch of people. Extremely violent and cruel. Predatory like wolves. Very swift and efficient in the destruction of their enemies. And there was no hope of stopping them. This was God's doing. And trouble was coming. Well, after hearing this shocking revelation about the Babylonians, Habakkuk had something to say about it. So if you have your Bible, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Look in your index if you need to, your table of contents. It's toward the end of the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets section, Habakkuk chapter 1. And we're going to begin with verse 12, where we left off. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. And let's see what Habakkuk had to say to God. Everybody there? Okay. Verse 12. This is Habakkuk speaking to God, okay? Are you not... From everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Let's stop there. After hearing about the Babylonians, Habakkuk had a response for God. And it was mixed in nature. At first, Habakkuk considered the character of God, which is something we should do when we don't understand what God is doing in our lives. He found some comfort in knowing he could trust the everlasting Lord. The God of eternity who has no beginning and no end. Habakkuk also acknowledged God as the Holy One. Knowing that God could do no wrong. And with that understanding and most certainly aware of God's covenant... To Abraham, Habakkuk had confidence that God would not allow Judah to be annihilated during this time of punishment. But with that said, with that said, Habakkuk still had some heartburn about this punishment coming through the hands of the Babylonians. Here is my interpretation of what he is saying. This is my interpretation. God, you're going to use the evil Babylonians to discipline your own children? Sure, the people of Judah are bad. I get that. But the Babylonians are really bad. Why would a holy and just righteous God 
use an evil people like the Babylonians to punish his own people. Since you hate sin so much, why would you allow this? God, this doesn't make any sense. Habakkuk tells the Lord he shouldn't use the Babylonians to punish Judah because the Babylonians are far worse than Judah. In other words, Lord, their sin is worse than our sin. How many times have I said that? Their sin is worse than our sin. It didn't seem right that God would do this. And as far as Habakkuk was concerned, the cure was worse than the disease. And he explains why. In verses 14 through 17, Habakkuk says, Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians, bring all them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. Because through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they, therefore, empty their net and continually slay nations without sparring? Stop right there. In this passage, Habakkuk explains to God that if he proceeds with his plan, he will make Judah... Like helpless fish caught in a net. And in this net, both the wicked and the righteous of Judah will be caught together. And they will suffer the same dreadful fate from the Babylonians. But it doesn't stop there. For Habakkuk claims the Babylonians will simply empty their net. And slay other nations as well. And of course, God, they will take credit for their own victories. They aren't going to worship you, Lord. So how can you tolerate evil? Lord, in light of your righteous character, in light of your righteous character, This does not seem right. Habakkuk wasn't feeling good about this situation. But Habakkuk probably thought he had presented a pretty good argument to God. And now he awaits for God to reply. So let's continue with chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, to see how successful he was in his argument to God. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is Habakkuk speaking. I will stand guard, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me, and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet For the appointed time, it hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come and it will not delay. Stop there. 
we are told that Habakkuk waited for God to reply like a guard at his military post. In his confusion about God, in his confusion about the ways of God, he stopped arguing and complaining and he's waiting and watching for God to respond. And sure enough, he does. God commands Habakkuk to write down this conversation for the benefit of others. And then God tells Habakkuk something he didn't want to hear. It's a done deal. It's going to happen. At the appointed time... At the right time, according to my plans, trouble is coming, just as I have said. Habakkuk did not want to hear that. Yes, he wanted God to do something about his wayward people. And yes, they most definitely deserved correction by God. But not like this. Not through the Babylonians. And what about the Babylonians? Will these evil people prosper while God's people suffer? Well, God had something to say about the fate of the Babylonians, starting with verse 4. Look at verse 4. He said, this is God speaking, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Let's stop there. God acknowledged that the Babylonians are an arrogant and morally twisted people. They are evil. They trust in their own power and might. They look only to themselves. But in contrast, in contrast, the righteous will live by faith. Instead of pridefully looking inward like the Babylonians do, the righteous look upward to God. In the day of trouble, when for a time it seems that evil triumphs over good, and it's difficult to understand what God is doing The righteous are obligated to live by faith in God no matter how we feel, what we see, or what the consequences may be. When things don't make sense and we don't have all the answers to all of our questions, and quite frankly, we never will, we are called to live by faith in God. Jeff Sims tells this story. Back in 1995, I was having a difficult time understanding what God was doing in my life. And as God so often does, He used something simple to teach me a great truth. I was taking my cat... It's a cat story. I was taking my cat to the sink to give it a bath. Yeah, oh my. Okay. Our cat, Madeline, that's the name, Madeline, had a skin condition which required weekly baths. She hated them and fought me like crazy. The vet said to put special cat shampoo on her and let her soak in it for a few minutes. 
In order to do that, I would place the cat in a cat carrier with a blanket and let her sit there for a few minutes. As I was placing the soaked cat and upset cat in the carrier, God spoke to my heart and said, Tell the cat what you're doing. I replied, I can't, God. I can't speak cat. God said to me again, Go ahead. Tell the cat why you're doing that. I said, I can't, Lord. I can't explain why. But it's for its own good. Just then, it hit me that God was saying that while I can't understand His ways, they are always for my good. Just like for the cat, the circumstances may be well beyond our understanding. They may not make any sense to us, but if we really get to know God we can rest in the fact that He truly is kind and good. And He does things for our benefit, even though the circumstances in life suggest He does not. The righteous will live by faith in God, because God is good and knows what is best for us. Now, for the rest of chapter 2, God tells Habakkuk, don't worry about the Babylonians, for they will get what's coming to them in due time. And he explains this in a series of five woes. We don't use that word woe very much in our English language. Instead, we might say or use the phrase, what a tragedy. That's what that means. What a tragedy. Now, these woes are directed to the Babylonians. For God knows exactly what they are doing. However, they can also apply to any person who pridefully lives for themselves. So let's jump down to verse 6. We're going to jump around a little bit. Jump down to verse 6, where God says, this is God speaking, Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. For how long... And makes himself rich with loans. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you. Because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the towns, and all its inhabitants. Let's stop there. That perfectly described the greedy Babylonians. When they captured a city, they took all of its wealth. They took the crops and the livestock. They carried off anything of value to them to include people like Daniel. In essence, they prospered through the misery of others. The Babylonians thought they were taking from nations they conquered. But God said it was simply alone. And there will come a time when the loan is due with interest. There will come a time when the Babylonians become the victims and they will suffer the same way they inflicted suffering on others. In essence, they will reap what they have sown. 
The second woe is found in verse 9. Jump down to verse 9. And we are told, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. Let's stop there. The Babylonians were intent on building a dynasty that would protect them from disaster. And in their arrogance, like an eagle whose nest is built high so the predators can't reach them, they considered themselves untouchable, thinking no enemy could ever come against them. But years later, the last king of Babylon through a wild party, which was interrupted by the sight of a finger writing on a wall. The partygoers were freaked out. They were stunned, and the king summoned all the wise men to explain this strange phenomenon. But none could explain it. Then someone remembered Daniel. And he was summoned to interrupt the, the writing on the wall. Daniel explained to the king that he did not measure up. And that very night the king died and the Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and Persians. Pride comes before a fall. Count on it. Now drop down to verse 12. We'll find a third woe. God says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Stop there. In their power-hungry desire for world domination, the Babylonians used their military might to conquer the weak and the defenseless. And they used murder and cruelty, bloodshed and oppression as tools in building their empire. In essence, they used violence to achieve what they wanted. But in the end, all their work will be turned into kindling for God's wrath. In the end, God will be honored and they will be doomed, dragged away by their own violence. The fourth woe we see in verses 15 and 16. Listen to this one. Especially uh, young folk. It reads, Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your own venom, even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. Let me explain that. The Babylonians had deceived the neighboring nations so they were able to take advantage of them. They behaved like a man who gets a woman drunk so she will lose her self-control and then he can undress her. That's what's being explained here. This is God's condemnation on those like the Babylonians who use substances like alcohol as tools for immoral purposes. God promises judgment on those who use alcohol or drugs to take advantage of others. When you entice another person to drink or to use drugs so they will lower their standards, 
you will come against God himself. Be careful. Now the last woe is found in verse 18. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood. For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake. To a mute stone, arise. And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. Let's stop there. This passage doesn't start with a woe. Instead, it begins with a question about idolatry. Who in their right mind would ever believe that praying to lifeless wood or stone could make any difference? That's what he's asking. Even though the images may be beautiful in appearance, in the end, they are still wood and stone. They can't hear you. They cannot guide you. They cannot act in your behalf. And they most certainly can't save you. If anything, an idol is merely an outward extension of trusting in your own strength. That's what it is. It's an outward extension of trusting in your own strength instead of living by faith in the living God. Finally, in verse 20, we're told this. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God is not deaf. He's not dumb. He's not blind and powerless like an idol. Instead, He is sovereign. God sits on His throne in His holy temple and He knows and foreknows the activities of the nations and He says, Be silent. Or we might say, hush, hush. For Habakkuk, the message is clear. Stop arguing, stop doubting. God is not excusing the sin of Judah and he's not excusing the sin of the Babylonians. He's not insensitive to suffering. God is at work. God is in control. And in this perfect time, he will accomplish his divine purposes. So Habakkuk, hush. I have given you my answer. I know you don't understand. I know this seems unreasonable to you. I know it doesn't seem right to you. But hush. Can you trust me anyway? Can you live by faith in me? So for a time, it may seem that evil has the upper hand. But it's only for a time. And that brings up the broader issue of evil. Habakkuk had a lot of questions for God related to evil in the world. He had questions related to evil amongst God's own people. And he had questions related to God's use of evil people to carry out his divine purposes. And quite frankly, these questions still exist today. How could 
You've heard this question. How could a good and loving God allow evil to exist if he has the power to stop it? Have you heard that question? How could a good and loving God allow evil to exist if he has the power to stop it? A lot of people, to include Christians, wrestle with this question. A college professor walked up to the board and wrote, God is good. God has all power. There is evil in the world. Therefore, there is no God. We know that God is loving and good and all-powerful. And yet we also know that evil exists. Surely, a good and loving and all-powerful God would not want evil to exist. And He would be able to get rid of it. That seems simple enough. It seems logical. But we fail to recognize that we also have a huge part in that equation. God did not create evil. Or let's call it for what it really is. Sin. He is not the author of it. There is no shadow of darkness in Him. However, with that said, God created us with free will. And free will is what made sin possible. Well, that begs the question. Why then did God give people free will? That sounds like a good, honest, real question. Why did He create people with free will? Because He didn't want puppets. He didn't want puppets. Free will, although it makes sin possible, is also the only thing that makes any love worth having possible. God created us to have a true, loving relationship with Him. And true love always involves a choice. True love is always an act of free will. Has to be. Could God give us free will and do away with sin? I guess He could. But once again, we have a problem. For He can't do away with sin without doing away with those who commit sin. We might as well say our goodbyes right now. Because none of us would be left because we all sin by choice. All sin is against God. Whether it be murder or theft or a little white lie or lust. And none of us would be left. None of us. So we are right back to where we started. Either we have free will to love God or to sin if we choose, or God removes all sinful people from this earth. And that includes us as well. That's why sin exists. Because 
we exist. Now with regard to Habakkuk's problem of God using the evil Babylonians, yes, a good and loving and all-powerful God can use evil people to accomplish His righteous and divine purposes. And the best example of this actually occurred on our behalf. It occurred for us. Our Heavenly Father sent His Son Jesus into this fallen world. Jesus submitted Himself to the evil acts of the self-righteous religious leaders. To Judas. To the Romans. Jesus was sinless, an innocent man who willingly endured torture and murder at the hands of evil people so that through his sacrificial death on the cross, you and I, who are sinners by nature and by choice, might be made right with God. Forgiven of our sin and saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. I hope I didn't give you too much this morning. I fear that maybe I have. But if there's one thing I want you to take away this morning. I want to circle back to something that Habakkuk did. In his confusion about God and the ways of God, Habakkuk was reminded of the character of God. When we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, when God seems unreasonable, when evil appears to be flourishing, when it seems that God does not care, when it appears He is doing nothing on our behalf, consider the character of God. For He is true and perfect in all of His ways. And His goodness is unmatched. He is gracious and kind-hearted and merciful. God is patient, slow to anger, unfailing in His great love for us. And He is ever faithful. God is forgiving. But at the same time, He is holy and just. And He cannot ignore sin. And all of this, all of this, was fully revealed and expressed in the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All of it. When in doubt, when you have your questions, when things don't make sense, think on Christ and what He has done for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Jesus. I thank You that we can look at Him, we can read about Him, we can ponder Him. That He is an exact representation of You. He is a full reflection of the Almighty God. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You that He was willing to endure suffering and even death on the cross at the hands of evil 
wicked people. Because he was on a rescue mission to rescue us. I thank you that we can come to you by your grace through faith in your son and what he's done. I thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. I thank you that we are forgiven because of his finished work. I thank you that we might be made right with you and saved because of Jesus Christ and him alone. I pray, Lord God, even now that he would be honored and glorified in our midst. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are so good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reminded of uh, something Andy Stanley, a title of his book actually. Do good people go to heaven? There aren't any. <laughs> That's, that, that, that is the reality. There aren't any. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Forgiven people go to heaven. Jesus Christ endured the cross. He took our sin upon Himself. He paid a sin debt. I've said this before. He paid a sin debt that He did not owe because we had a sin debt that we could not pay. He paid it all. He paid it all so that we might be made right with a holy God. And so when the holy God looks upon us, He sees Jesus. We are righteous, not in ourselves, but in Christ. We are righteous in Christ. Those two words are probably the most two powerful words in the Bible. In Christ. What's true of Him now becomes true of us because we are in Christ. That just, that's mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling. We are in Him. We are hidden in Him. All because of the finished work of Christ. He loves us that much. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Yes. God uses evil people because he loves us. And he died for us. He's such a good and forgiving God. And he just asks us to come to him and just lay it all down and just give it all to him. He loves us that much. Yes, I admit, sometimes he is so hard to understand. Sometimes he is confusing to me. Sometimes the things he does doesn't seem right. But this I know. My God does know wrong. Even though to me it might seem wrong. He does know wrong. He's perfect. He can't. There is no shadow of darkness in him. When I have my doubts with God, and I do. I'm your pastor. And there are times when I have my doubts. Absolutely. What am I left with? I serve a good God who loves me, who proved it on the cross, who has my best interest at heart. He sees the big picture. He's got a different perspective. I'm so limited in what I see. 
I'm so limited. What are we left with? Trust. When the dust finally settles, when it all settles, and I may not have all the answers that I want, I guarantee you I won't. I won't have all the answers. What am I left with? Trust. I've just got to trust my Father who is good. I hope and pray that somehow, some way, this message has, has touched you. Habakkuk's hard to preach, but I hope it's touched you in some way. And I would just ask you to respond to him, to the Lord in obedience, however that might be. Whether it's praying with me, whether you feel led to join this church, whether you, don't, you realize you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you would like to know who he is, I'd love to talk to you about him. Whatever, whatever the case may be, just be obedient to the Lord and respond to Him however He wants you to respond. That's all I ask. That's all I can ask, right? It's between you and Him. Just respond. Let me pray for our offering this morning, and I'll also pray for our fellowship afterwards. Again, I hope you can stay and join us. we got plenty of food, a lot of hamburgers and hot dogs out there. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you so much for this time uh, with my brothers and sisters. Lord, I, I would pray that your, your words would just continue to, to resonate uh, in us and through us. Lord, help us to be the kind of people you desire us to be. Help us, Lord God, to, to abide in you and to live our lives uh, uh, through you. Lord God, again, I just thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to give back a small portion which you've given us. Father, bless uh, our tithes and our offerings. Lord, help us to use uh, your money in a, in a wise uh, way to carry out your kingdom business. Uh, Father, bless the gift and, and even more importantly, bless the giver. And Lord, for our fellowship, I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, bless the food that we are uh, going to partake of. Father, bless those who, who are working uh, behind the scenes to put it all together. Bless those who have brought the food. And Lord God, I just thank you for this time. Just use it, Father, for your honor and for your glory. Give us a sweet time of fellowship. I thank you, Father, for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.